0: You are listening to Germantown Community Radio WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemo. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market-rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jump in Our series on Monday nights at 7 p.m. held via Zoom webinar, and for more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I'm speaking with Karan Nicole, who is the owner of Impact Investment and Design Firm and overall real estate development powerhouse. We'll be covering the do's and don'ts of finishing your project and what to do after drywall. I hope you enjoy the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com media. Um, but like I
1: said, our guest tonight is Karan Nicole, and she is the owner of Impact Investment Design and Design Firm, an overall real estate development powerhouse. With her extensive expertise in investment, design, and construction, she has learned the do's and don'ts of real estate design. Um, and she has begun a mem- mentorship program for young girls that are interested in real estate and trains them on both the good and the bad of the development process and she also has a strategy guide uh, that is out now If you go to her website Karan it's called one foot away from six figures and she was just telling me about it and it sounds like it's something that uh, jump starters would really benefit from um, especially correct me if I'm wrong Karan but uh, less experienced ones you know people who are looking for the basics um, so yeah I'll let her introduce herself and, and say hi to everybody how's it going Karan.
2: Hey, thanks so much, Derek. Um, again, I'm Karan Nicole. Derek did a phenomenal job introducing me, so I won't have to say a lot. Um, I own and operate Impact Investment and Design Firm, and that is where we renovate, design, and stage properties here in Philadelphia. So um, yes, I did write a book. I did put a book together. I had a lot of bumps and bruises the first year So um, so. <clears throat> I kept a journal throughout the whole year, throughout the entire process, and I just utilized my notes um, and a lot of the things that I've learned, some best practices for um, pe- the, after the first flip or two, then I, you know, implemented some things differently. So I documented all that stuff along the way and put that in a book. Um, and I do have that book available on my website, which is uh, dot ecom So <clears throat> If you you know have a friend and they're looking or they've spoke about real estate investing, it's literally like um, it's just very you know it doesn't I don't hold back any punches I don't you know kind of put the fluff in it's straightforward there's you know it talks a lot about your mindset because obviously in real estate um, the first thing is to have that fortitude to be able to come back on hard days with the same momentum as the day prior so. Um, it's really, really important to kind of get in position before you do anything, before you look for lenders, before you even look for properties, you need to be in that uh, mindset where, you know, you're going to finish and you're going to finish strong, regardless of what things are going to come at you. So it helps to condition your mind first. That's the first half of the book. And then the second half talks about the actual real estate development fundamentals. And the final, one of the later chapters of the book talks about how to design a property to sell. Um, And that kind of leads us into our topic tonight, which is super fun. One of my favorite topics, just because as an investor, we can get, um, We can get very bogged down with the transactional piece of the um, projects. So we don't really put a lot of time into the final phase. That's usually when people are like burnt out and the budget's already getting a little low. So we kind of skimp at the the final phase after drywall, we figure out where we can start saving money. And I've also been guilty of that. So I just wanna point out some things to you guys tonight, real brief um, things that could be helpful Um, And some inexpensive things, because it just seems to me like nowadays, all projects are taking longer and costing more with the increase after COVID. So I wanted to share with you guys some of the things that I do along the way that helps boost the appeal of my projects.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for. And I'm I'm excited to hear about it. Um, But before we get into the thick of it, it, um, I do want to ask you just about impact impact, uh, design and investments um, or investment and design. Um, what type of development do you do? Like, are are you guys pretty active right now? Are you you in the middle of some big projects? Yeah,
2: yeah. So right now I'm doing an Airbnb. Um, I I flipped a few properties, and then now I'm doing the holds. It's kind of like you do flips for a couple years, and then you do holds for a couple years. I like the balance of that because I do want to make sure that um, I have that compounded revenue coming through, as well as the the lump sum. You know, so I kind of back back and forth. So right now I'm just focusing on rentals and Airbnbs um, Mm -hmm. in my personal portfolio, but because it is an investment in a design firm, the design portion is where we come out and help fellow investors focus on what to do after drywall. Um, Also, I own a staging company where the very final phase after, you know, the finishes are done, then we just furnish the properties that are going to be listed. So Um, very, very busy, especially right now, just because this is the time of the year where everyone wants to catch that last little bit of foot traffic, um, before it starts to get cold. So we are like nonstop on the, um, the design part, as well as the staging, my stuff's obviously going just as fast as everybody else's. (laughs) Um, my personal projects on the investment side of the business are just, you know, along the way kind of thing. But Again, I'm still operating in all of my um, my strategies, you know, because the first year or two in real estate was really rough for me because I feel like I was learning the do's and don'ts. I was figuring out the curves. But now that I'm like three years, three, four years in, I just have to stick to my strategy as long as I can, you know, stick to my strategy and overcome all the obstacles. I know I'll make it to the to the finish line. So I have a little bit more of a proven process.
1: Right, and that's cool that you kind of reached out and, and now it sounds like you have your hands in other people's projects, helping them with design and everything. So I'm sure that, that gives you a little bit more creative creative juice, right? <laughs> Rather than just having to wait until you close on your next project to work on finishes. you, Derek,
2: you so hit the nail on the head. That is like literally the best part of my job. That is, I I actually post about that on social media, like on my Instagram. Um, (laughs) You guys should follow along because I post about how I hide and fellow investors finished renovation projects while mine are on fire. Like I literally make this whole big thing about that because I'm always up in someone's investment project (laughs) and then mine can be on fire at the time, but it's nice. It's really, really nice. Like, um, The part where we take over the design piece for fellow investors is a business I built called Finish Line. It somewhat operates under my whole umbrella, but Finish Line is is fun because it is the finishes, right? Um, And we select the finishes for the investment properties, not for residential. Finish Line is not for residential. That's the design firm. But it's fun because we don't talk about the finishes after drywall. We start talking about the finishes during demo. And I really want to make sure that even though our topic for tonight is what to do after drywall, you really want to be intentional about your design during your demolition phase, because that's when your mechanics are going to need to support your design. That's, for example, if you decide to do a floating vanity, you need to be sure that your, your framing is going to support that. Um, if you decide to do pendant lighting, which is very popular in bathrooms now, you want to make sure that your electrician gives you the support you need for that and et cetera, et cetera. So- I want you guys to know that while we are talking about what things look like or what things we do and don't do after drywall, that you will need to be sure that you've outlined your design aesthetic prior to demolition. That's why if you bring on a designer like myself, or if you opt to do the design yourself, you want to have your renderings and you want to have your full layout prior to demo. So that way, all of your trades can clearly see the direction that you're going into.
1: Right right so i mean people if that's anything it's a message to people be like you only have one chance to do do your finishes And, and like you know if you're if you're only working on one project at a time you know it's not often that but like i don't know you have to do do drywall and you have to install mechanicals in every single part of the house but but finishes are or where you—it's like it's kind of your time to shine, right?
2: Yeah, it's definitely your 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 chance to make your project unique. Make sure your your project stands out in the marketplace, and that's really what you want to do. Whether you're in a um, increasing market or in a decreasing market, no matter what, you want to be sure that you're delivering a unique project because buyers, you know, if they can go down the street and see ten projects that look the same, they all have gray walls, they all have the exact same vanities, the Home Depot grade everything you know, what's the draw to buy your property? Like what's the sense of urgency that a buyer would have to pull the trigger on your property? So All right. so unique is fine. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just let's talk about designing the cell now and let's talk about like what that strategy actually looks like. Um you, you said it starts at as early as demo. So when you're yeah. done when, you, when you you know you you're got your loan, you're ready to start construction and and, and start on your scope of work. Um how like what what about design should you be thinking about? It, it, it like in my brain it doesn't really make sense because taking down walls you should be thinking about <laughs> like getting stuff out of there rather than putting stuff in.
2: Um, yeah, but no, that's a that's your perfect opportunity to really see your space right. when you first go and do your initial walkthrough, and you're like, okay, cool, this makes you know the numbers make sense. Mm-hmm. This is a project that I could potentially yield you know whatever your bottom line profit margins are, and you mm-hmm. make those decisions. That's one day, right? But then another day when the demolition happens and now all the depending on if you're doing a full gut, we're gonna always speak from a perspective of doing a full gut just because that's kind of what I do. And I don't really even know the first thing to think about those lipstick on a pig jobs. Like I don't like that because I feel like I'm putting things up over top of drywall that I have no idea if it's gonna support the family that lives there. And regardless of whatever we talk about, Anytime the bottom line is you're selling someone or family a home. And I personally feel more comfortable knowing that everything is brand new or repaired and everything is you know fully operating. And you can't do that if you put drywall over drywall. So again, um, we're always I'm always gonna be talking about coming from a perspective of a full gut job. Mm -hmm. Some numbers don't yield that, but those aren't projects that I take on. So that's
1: a lot of um, or, or that's a like a crunch time decision. There is you when when you're going into the property, you got to think. Well, is it worth it to do all this demo and make all these layout changes to get the design I want, or you know, is this more of just a in and out kind of, you know, like you said, I, I like. Yeah click on a pig that's a good
2: yeah yeah I just feel like every single and I always tell people this every single investor is different like we all operate under some of the same rules Mm
1: -hmm. but
2: everybody's personal approach to real estate investing is totally different that's why I share my strategy um just because I have had success with it you know what I mean I've failed I've succeeded and I've been able to kind of catch that meat in between and write about it right ideally I was an MBA before I even became, you know, an investor and I had it all figured out prior to even doing this until the the industry smacked me around so bad where I'm like, no, wait, you know, now I know more. So I'm, I'm just really, really vocal about some of those experiences. But it is two different types of investors that will do you know, more of like the renovation where they just come in and do minor repairs. And then you have people like me that just want to jump right in. I rip everything down. Like that is like my claim to fame. I literally tear every wall down, like not every wall, but the walls that I can. I love the open concept. If I can, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, I tear down low bearing walls. I make windows double the size that they already are. Like I literally am like, I'm like, Bruising for a bruising with L and I, I swear to God, like I'm like asking myself every time I get in a project like Karan Nicole, why did you like feel the need to like I put a linear window in the one that you know I worked with Angie and Ken on like that window took me three months to get approved so my risk threshold is a little higher than most people's. <laughs>
1: But, but you know, the idea is is that the money and the time and the, you know, I guess, risk that you're putting into doing all that extensive demo and clearing things out, it, it comes back in the, the sales price in one year. Yes. Uh,
2: yes. I don't know if Angie remembers, but the comps in the area were like 250 and we pushed it to like 350 Like, I mean, it was... <laughs> that was my favorite project because it was the most difficult. And I think I, a lot of the pain was self-inflicted. So I'm not going to tell any newbies or even any, any, any um, experienced investors that doing it my way is the easiest way. Cause it's not, you know, but I just feel more comfortable. And I also get to add in some of the design flair. So I'll tell you guys all about some of my strategies and what I do. So we talked about how you want to remain conscious that knowing what you're going to do after drywall is something that you should know prior to demo. So I don't want you to wait until after drywall to make those decisions. So that was just the point that I wanted to make there. But um, once the drywall is up, that's when the fun begins, right? So you do the priming and you do your painting and then you do your trim and the flooring and all that fun stuff. So I broke down each part of the house that I feel is important to focus on as it relates to the design. And I'll just go over that briefly and then we'll kind of talk about it. So that's just literally going to be bullets and then we'll go in and elaborate second. So in the bathrooms, I think that there's an opportunity for you to add a ton of stylish flair if you focus on super unique vanities and you have a lot of fun with the tile in your bathrooms. Um, Sometimes you'll see investors that will do one- pattern all throughout the bathroom. That's my least favorite thing to do. I typically don't do any less than three different types of tile per bathroom. Um, I like to have the shower wall, the vanity wall, and the floor, three different types of tile. Not to say that it's all the same, it could be all the same color, but it'll just be three different shapes or Sometimes I will contrast Um, you have to be really, really careful because now we have a trend where people are using a lot of dark tile like you'll see a lot of black. Don't ever go in and do an entire bathroom all black. You want to have some sort of contrast. So in that case, you want to do like a concrete gray floor or you want to bring the shower wall in a nice gray or introduce a wood tone, um, something that lightens that up. But in the bathroom, just for the sake of this checklist, I want to say that the way to create a unique build is to focus on um, some fun tile and uh, really unique vanities. You can find unique vanities at Wayfair all modern, Um, obviously if you're local, you can check Washington Avenue, Ikea even has some, it doesn't have to be super expensive. You wanna focus on durability and something that just sets aside from everything else that these buyers are gonna see in the marketplace. Um, And then your kitchen, I think it's gonna be fun to focus on your cabinets. And that's in addition to the cabinet pools, don't miss the cabinet pools because they're fun and funky and provide a nice contrast as well. Um, your backsplash, the island, and those are, so your backsplash in the kitchen behind your stove is going to be a nice fun way to create interest. And you can use all kinds of stuff now, right? So you can do a mosaic tile, which is like a smaller, more easily manipulated kind of tile. Um, You can do the larger pieces. I've done that where they're 24 by 48, which gives a very nice illusion because in the tile world, as it relates to backsplash in the kitchen, a big trend is going to be a full slab, So that's where you see very minimal grout lines or none at all. So anything that you can do to minimize the grout lines is going to be, you know, more of like a trendier aesthetic and your backsplash for your kitchens and as well in the bathrooms as well. Um, So definitely as minimal as you can in terms of the grout lines, the larger tile is very on trend right now. I think that it's um, some real cool mosaic stuff still out there as well. But just remember that that's a good opportunity for you to create a wow factor kind of on a budget, because if you, if you think about it, your backsplash in your kitchen is usually not super huge. So that $25 per square foot tile might not be, you know, conducive to your bottom line if you do your entire bathroom with it. But if you do a small area, like a backsplash, I think that's a great way to add a lot of interest. And you coming in on the first floor that can help, you know, draw a person in and create a lot of conversation um, in your kitchen. Um, the next thing I think is important not to, we all know, you know, the checklist, but your curb appeal, right? So that's your facade. So you just want to be sure that you clean that facade as good as possible, right? So If you want to, you know, if it's old paint, you want to strip it down and start over again. But no matter what, your facade should be clean. I don't care what budget you have. You can have a very minimal budget. You want to be sure that the facade is super clean, that the paint is repaired, any damaged siding is repaired. I don't, you know, always recommend to, you know, reconstruct your entire facade. I do. I've done reconstructing. I've repaired siding, you know. So it just really kind of depends. But just make sure that for your facade, that everything is like anything that's broken is fixed. If there's existing paint and you want to follow, that you make sure that you do that. If there's siding, you make sure that that's repaired and everything is kind of picture perfect for your facade. Um, and then in terms of your curb appeal. Um, You also for the curb appeal want to be sure that there if there is any landscaping opportunity that you seize that opportunity landscaping and greenery super fun for um, curb appeal, especially here in Philadelphia, because we don't have a lot of that. Um, I'm big on like synthetic pots. You will not believe how creative I've had to get to bolt down pots just so that I can have, you know, greenery kind of in every, every project. I have to have like three big plants or bushes or something. I don't care how I do it. I got to get it in. So um, that's always fun. Again, it doesn't have to be any existing grass. It doesn't have to be existing plants. You can always add those in um, at some point during the renovation. Again, if there's any damage to the porch, the porch roof, everything needs to be repaired. You know, just don't overlook things. Um, Don't just slap paint over top of things. You want to be sure that if there's any damaged uh, capping or any of that on your porch roof, that you have that repaired and that that's addressed. Um, So, okay. Also, moving forward from your curb appeal, let's talk about the living room. Um, obviously, we all know right now that it is a big deal to have an open concept living area. That's a new thing. You know, we don't want mom in the kitchen behind a wall anymore. We want her to be able to interact with the family, to be able to entertain. So that open concept, uh, concept allows for that. Um, you may run into some low bearing walls. In that case, you'll have to bring out a masonry crew to support you um if it's in the budget great if not you know i would say do a half wall try to figure out how to open that up a little bit just because again you're going to be competing against projects that do have that open feel and it's just you know really popular these days so you don't want to have like a dated design um also with the living room if you can introduce any additional natural lighting that's always fun meaning if you can make the windows larger if you can, if, if you can swap out your double hung for casemat windows, and I'll talk to you about some of those things as we get more technical in the design down the line. But um, case mat is just a window that's a full glass panel versus the double hung, which is two. So it'll allow, you know, a really nice flow of natural lighting to come into your living space, which is always good. Um, As it relates to your dining room, you want to talk about whether you have the budget for a really cool chandelier. I know I see some investors will just put like the cap up and just so that a buyer can put it in if they want to down the line. Chandeliers are very, very inexpensive, guys. When we're talking about renovations, costs are like really high all over the place, but not as it relates to lighting. So you can pretty much find a $100, $149 chandelier at Lowe's, at Amazon, um, at Wayfair, All Modern, uh, you know, Ikea, anywhere for the most part. They could be anywhere from $30 to $150, depending on your budget. You can go more fancy if you like but having um, the central lighting and the dining space, I think is fun um, for potential buyers also. um, So the last thing is your basement. So as it relates to the basement, how I approach it from a design perspective, I base my basements directly on the the comps. I want to know what the basements look like in the area. Are they finished? You know, you know, did they, did the other homeowners dig them down to give them more ceiling height Because I'm going to stick with the comps as it relates to my basement, because if I have $100,000 to complete an entire full gut renovation project, I'm strategically figuring out where I'm going to allocate my budget. And the basement typically gets the least amount of my budget. Um, You do want to make sure that all your mechanics in the basement are fully operable um, and that it's safe and that it's dry. Sometimes I feel like we run into a lot of issues as investors, just making sure that um, we keep them weatherized and that we can at least provide storage for a home buyer. But science does prove that home buyers don't mind investing monies into their basement in their backyard after they've purchased a home. So by me knowing that, those are my two places where I kind of skimp and where I spend the least amount of money in my basement and in my backyard. Um, I do have some fun in both of them if the budget yields for that. Obviously, buyers will be more attracted to a finished basement, but that's why I said you always wanna, you know check your comps because if all the properties on the block have a finished basement and you know or one block one mile radius then you're going to have a hard time competing against a property that's selling for maybe the same price or a little bit less or more however that goes but you don't want to have trouble competing right so if they're all you know in the neighborhood finishing their basements you want to kind of just jump in on that as well Um, but for the most part that's what i have
0: if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Karan Nicole, who's the owner of Impact Investment and Design Firm, and overall real estate development powerhouse. We'll be covering the do's and don'ts of finishing your project and what to do after drywall. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. But
1: well, I, I, have, I have questions for you.
2: <laughs> I have answers. <laughs>
1: But that was that was really great, Garan. Um, thank you. And you're welcome. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll type this uh, up and, and send it so we can like send out the checklist to people because I think people will find that really yeah, useful.
2: Yeah, I sent it to you for sure. So yeah, I, I don't want to.
1: Yeah, maybe we can. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of it is your notes versus just bullet points, but uh, yeah, yeah
2: I'll
1: with people. Um, and I do have some questions going back through here. Um, but before I ask you those, I just want to remind people that we are gonna have a Q and a session for Quran uh, maybe in about fifteen minutes. Um, there, we have quite a few people join us uh, after we got started. so be sure to type your questions in Q and a and we'll uh, we'll get to them in about fifteen minutes. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying about bathrooms and kitchen um, and I like how those are the first two things you brought out uh, because like or what we consistently tell borrowers is that like that's what you should be focusing on like to make the selling point of your house kind of Um, it's usually the 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 line item in the budget when we're reviewing that we're like oh that looks too (laughs) low because we always expect people to to really you know yeah to
2: beef that up in that area
1: so um that's kind of what my question is about is um the the cost of a kitchen or bath rehab um you know i don't know if you can give specific numbers for like a a a three three bedroom one bed house a row home um you know single family but you don't have to give me an extra uh, an exact cost but i do want to know like what you think people should do to keep costs slow because I, 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 I. i think people should understand that they don't want to compromise on the kitchen too much and then end up not being able to sell it on the other side you want to you want to at the same time like put the appropriate amount of money in it but also not like blow out like a 1500 hundred dollar kitchen when when it doesn't make sense right
2: of course of course so the way you do those areas to keep the cost low i'll address that part first so just get creative right you want to get creative you want to do some research you have to be very intentional about one thing about real estate investing is that you need to be very intentional about every phase of the project, right? So when it comes to, we're talking specifically about kitchens and bathrooms, you just wanna be intentional about that. So you wanna take some time and do some due diligence. You wanna do some research. You wanna find out what's on trend right now. What's the, you know, um, the magazines showing? What are the shows showing? Like what's, what's really popular right now? And then you figure out where you can purchase those things at a low cost vendor. Um, I can never tell you exactly what a bathroom and a kitchen is going to cost. There's so many factors that go into play and it could be anywhere from, you know, you can do a forty five hundred dollar kitchen renovation all the way up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know what I mean? I I just love appliances and, you know, I can go from here to Japan with options for that. So it's hard to make that that, um, distinction. However, um, when you are looking as an investor, you want to keep your costs as low as possible, right? Because the money that you spend, anything over your budget is coming directly out of your profit. So you just don't want to go too far. And then when I say to be creative, I also want to put a caveat in. Do not be too creative. You know, you this is not your personal home. And that's hard for me because I'm a designer. So I have things that I absolutely love. But I've also done the taking the time to research what's selling, you know, again, you have to research, you have to figure out, and it comes to design as well. We we talk about researching your numbers. We talk about researching your purchases. We talk about researching your realtors, your agents, your lenders, and all that fun stuff. So you want to make sure that you're researching the designs that are on trend right now as well, because I can almost assure you that if you look at a high-end build, that you can duplicate those things pretty, you know, inexpensively through some of your local vendors, right? I don't, despise Home Depot, but I'm just not going to do an entire bathroom from Home Depot. And I'm not going to do the most important part, which is like a vanity, because I just feel like there are 500,000 of these out there. So they're everywhere and I want something unique. So um, the way I would think that you need to get a really creative or really interesting bathroom and kitchen at, a you know, affordable costs is to do the work, right. Do the research, see what's out there. You got a bargain hunt, you got to shop. There's a lot of closeout opportunities. Um, there's a lot of sales. There's a lot of things that you may be able like if you have a truck, it's always good as an investor to, to purchase a truck because if you see that there's some high end tile that's on a closeout, you want to be able to scoop it all up. Um, being prepared means that you can have a, you know, Stockpile of this stuff and sometimes you can use it for multiple projects. This is a long game like real estate is definitely a forever journey. So I've invested in storage warehouse I've invested in you know transportation for large amounts of finishes so that if you buy in bulk, sometimes you can get it at a discount if you shop around for closeouts, you can get at a discount. Um, I'm not saying just always go out and find the cheapest stuff. I'm saying find stuff that's high end and get it at a discount, but it's gonna take some work, right? You gotta just make sure that after drywall that you really are conscious of this phase because I wanna remind everybody that the mechanics are super important. You wanna be sure that they're functioning properly. However, buyers are not seeing mechanics. When they come in and they make a decision, buying a house is one of the only decisions that you're allowed to make based on your emotions. How does this property make me feel, right? So we hear husbands and wives talk all the time, this feels right, you know, or this just doesn't feel right. And that connection with the emotions is your draw aesthetically from, for me, I do, Um, I hit all the senses, right? So I have scent, scent marketing, right? Going through the house, there's companies that do scent marketing where you can manipulate the smell of the homes. I do um, Sonos in all my projects, meaning that it's always some nice, smooth jazz kind of playing on every single floor. It's $1,100 for the mechanics to do that, you know, whatever your electrician may charge you. But I feel like you can negotiate that if you're continue, you know, if you're working with some of the same trades over and over again, they'll get to know how you like to make your builds. But um, visually, I make sure that, you know, obviously um, the the tile that they're seeing on HGTV and these most popular bills and these million dollar listings are in my project. Because if a person gets to buy a home that they're proud of, they're and their friends are gonna come over. Everyone's everyone knows, guys. Everyone knows what's hot in the development world. We all know. We all know the new stuff. But go ahead.
1: No, I mean I love your answer. Um it sounds like it's it's you can save money not by like literally spending less money, but just by spending money on the right things, right? It's yeah. Just-
2: be intentional about it. Otherwise I just, yeah, I don't see any other way to answer the question. You just have yeah, to
1: great. Really, yeah, yeah.
2: like take the time to put the work in, to shop around, to buy the finishes that are going to make your build unique.
1: That's great. Yeah. I I like thinking about how, you know, two developers side by side could be developing the same project and one could spend or I mean they could each spend seven thousand dollars on a kitchen and one is wildly more successful than the other um because they did the research, right?
2: Yeah. You can't just slap stuff around. I see bills all the time and I'm just like, this doesn't even make sense aesthetically. <laughs> like
1: um, so, so the next thing I want to ask you about is you were talking about uh, the curb appeal and how you can clean up the facade um, and you know do landscaping and, and sort of fix up the the street view of the property. Um, I'd like to to know your thoughts on kind of how to blend uh, a project in with what's on the block because that's one of the few parts of your project where like someone can physically like look at your house and look at the one next to it and be like oh this you know and see the differences. Um, do you, do you think it's a good idea to have like the, the shiniest sparkliest clean house on the block of, of, you know, historic yes. I do
2: think it is, you're asking Karan Nicole, sorry, I can only answer for me, but I do think it's a good idea to have the shiniest property on the block. <laughs> and yeah. the reason being is for me, I look for the worst house on the block. Right. So my whole claim of fame has been in the transformation from, being the ugliest house on the block to now the most sought after. So I literally, and again, guys understand you may in Philadelphia, you may face a lot of scrutiny if you do this, because buyers get, I mean, homeowners on the block get nervous when you start increasing your property so much, because they think that, you know, now it's time for them to do repairs that they weren't necessarily ready to do, or it could affect their taxes. But And that's why some people follow the rules, and they just blend in with everything on the block because it doesn't upset the neighbors. But for me, I like to have the most shiny property on the block, and I'm intentionally going after that. And I'm changing everything to make sure it's yeah the most beautiful. Like I'm looking at everybody's house to intentionally make mine more beautiful. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally see see that perspective. But um, then
2: there's 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 so there's demand.
1: Mm-hmm right?
2: And it's the name of the game in real estate. Like how can I sell my property as fast as I can for as much money as possible? So being unique is one way to do it. There's some drawbacks, there's some negative drawbacks to that, but I think that works.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, And and then the last uh, of that checklist that I want to ask you about is the basement, Um, because that's another thing is when we're, you know, when we get loan applications, we're reviewing projects, Um, you know, people provide us comps and, you know, maybe all three of their comps have Three, you know, huge, beautiful finished basements with like walkout garages and everything. But their property, you know, their plan is to just waterproof and or, or seal it and just, you know, kind of write it off. Um, and it sounds like the answer is yes, but I, I do want to hear you talk a little bit more about how how um, influential the basement is and the finishing of the basement is in the sales price. Um, you know, like. Uh, what what did it, what did my note here? I wrote here. Oh, so, so I did want to know what is the uh like the minimum for a finished basement because I, I know like I I've seen comps where where people send three different comps and like one has a finished basement that has you know luxury finishes. It looks beautiful. It's all like sparkly and white. But then there's one that they all they really did was like paint the walls and make it not look like a, a dungeon. <laughs> so so what would you say is like the minimum for finishing a basement that that someone can do to bring it up to the level of their comps?
2: again, so it's whatever the neighborhood yields, you know, whatever's going on in the neighborhood. I know that, you know, buyers that want to move to a specific area are going to be looking at a lot of properties if they are, you know, you know, set on that particular area, they're going to be comparing your property to other properties in the area. Um, The basement to me, like I said, I just like to go by research and research proves that home buyers aren't opposed to investing in their their basements after purchase. So I typically don't spend a lot of my design budget there. Um, I do make it, like you said, waterproof and safe. I'm that kind of investor where I want it to function 100%. But um, if I, if the budget will allow for it, everybody wants additional entertainment space. So mm-hmm. if you have a basement and you can you know, beef up your list price by having an additional entertainment space, again, and that data is all gonna be backed by your comps. Because mm-hmm. um, if a house is selling for $200,000 with an unfinished basement next door, And then yours have to be dug in. You have to dig down. You have to waterproof it. You have to put twenty thousand dollars just to you know, it's like no reason to do that. If you can just be a comparable to your same properties in the neighborhood and you can start to allocate that budget someplace else in terms of a real estate um, investing, you you can give a potential buyer the opportunity to customize their property on their own. And a basement is a good way for them to connect with the property and make it their own. I think at at minimal, you want to make sure that you can provide additional storage for the basement. You want to make sure that it's weatherized and they can store things down there. But um, I don't think buyers have any issue with putting an extra $10,000 over the next 30 years into building out their basement if you don't have the budget to do it yourself as an investor.
1: Okay. Great. Um, so, yeah, that, that is all my notes on the checklist you gave us. Um, and, and I want to make sure we do have time for the QA. I see we have uh, like six questions queued up here. Um, but is there any, uh, I, I see you have some notes here on smart homes and energy efficient options.
2: Yeah. So, we're going to, yeah, we're all out the notes. It was a bunch of stuff I didn't get to. But yeah, so some energy efficient options. I wanted to talk to you guys about that. I also want to talk to you guys about the value of home staging and again, share with you some more of my supplier context. So I'm sure Derek will send that stuff out to you. Again, not super important. I think we covered some of the super important stuff. This call was mainly for you guys to understand how important it is not to skip that and to be intentional about it. And, you know, don't overshoot the mark, right? Don't go getting super creative and having tons of fun, but just be sure that you do the research on what's hot on the market right now and try your best to, to, you know, to compare to what's going on in the marketplace.
0: And that concludes my conversation with Karan Nicole, the owner of Impact Investment and Design Firm about the do's and don'ts of finishing your project and what to do after drywall. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpin' our series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. And if you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com slash events and register for next week's jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, go visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open-source training workbook. Thank you so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Be sure to tune in next week.